Well, good morning. Lucy, awesome job. I knew she was sitting behind me, and then I turned around and was like, well, where's Lucy? And then I looked up, and it's like, ah, there's Lucy. So way to go. It's awesome to see somebody so young using the talents that God's given her. Um, we're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning. If you would like to turn there, we got some riveting stuff this morning um, as we get to look at the genealogy of Jesus. And it is just action-packed text. But um, as you're turning there, uh, this is the season where you start to get together with family, where we're going to be celebrating the birth of Jesus, and maybe you'll be traveling and seeing family. Maybe you'll be having family come. But every family has that one person. And you know who I'm talking about. That, that one person that maybe goes by Cousin Eddie, that one person that is just kind of the black sheep, and you all know the saying, if you think your family doesn't have one, it's you. I don't think my family has one, so it's my brother. Um, he's here, so I'm definitely going to say that, that uh, he is that family member. But we all have that family, and, and family can be an amazing thing. I, myself, have been blessed without a doubt, uh, beyond belief with an amazing family. Um, obviously, God brought Heather into my life, which was incredibly a miracle in of itself. And then we were blessed with Isaiah, but even beyond that, I've been blessed with a core family when I was growing up. And, and when you talk about family, it can be one of two things. It can be a highlight of somebody's life that I was blessed with, or for a lot of other people, it can be that that past that you don't want to remember, that, that part of your life that you just want to kind of breeze over and you don't really want to talk about it. And, and we've come up with things now where not only can you see your family, like who your parents were, but now there's things like Ancestry.com and uh, I think it's like you, me and 23 or something like that, where they can take your DNA and they can run your lineage all like decades and decades and ancestors ago. And so you can see like, oh, like we were part of the Scottish uh, land. We were, we were that family. We fought alongside William Wallace. And you can have a history that you're like, yeah, that's something special. Or you can see kind of the other part and be like, this is who we were and we're not really proud of it. And I refuse to do any of that stuff um, because I have in my mind who my lineage is and I don't want to be proven wrong. Um, and so I'm right. Ignorance is bliss and I'm going to live in that. But today we're going to be looking at a specific family tree, the family tree of Jesus. And we're going to see that Jesus's family tree is definitely one of those that you wouldn't be proud of. That when you read through these lists of names, that as we see them appear to be a list of names, there are stories that show of the redeeming love of God through them. And so we're going to look at the family tree, and what we're going to see is hope in the family tree of Jesus. That through all these misfits and mess-ups comes the Savior of the world. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses, and then we're going to skip to verse 16. And so I'm going to ask if you'll stand as we read this list of names that God has put in here for a purpose. And then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1. 
the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of deportation to Babylon. And then verse 16, we work our way down to Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Riveting stuff, right? Yeah. Let's open in prayer. Father God, we come before you. And God, as, as what appears to be just a list of names, we know that you have preserved throughout history. And God, that we can find hope in this. And so I just pray that as we look at the lineage of Jesus, our Savior, may it point us to who you are. And so God, we need you in order to do that. So speak to us this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. And so I don't know if you're one of those people that is similar to me, but whenever you get to these genealogies, you skip them usually. Like I've been reading through the Old Testament and I just recently got into, it's actually chronological, so I'm jumping around, but I got to where I had to read First Chronicles. And like the first nine chapters of First Chronicles is Noah begat Shem, who begat somebody, who begat somebody, and that's just what you get, like chapter after chapter, and I skipped it. It was just like, you, you know, this is a lot of begatting, and I'm going to bypass that. And it's easy for us to get into that mindset whenever we read these genealogies that it's just like, you know what, that's a bunch of old people that died a long time ago, and I don't really know much about them, so it doesn't apply, so I'm going to pass it. But what we see is that God has preserved this lineage and God has placed it in his inspired word for a reason. It's not just somebody begat somebody who begat somebody. It's people with stories all leading up to the birth of the Savior of the world. And so whenever we look through these we, we need to look at the stories that are behind them. Because before we go further, I just want to ask you, if you were to write your, say you could like start your whole life over and start your lineage over, and you were to write your history and your family's history, how would you write it? What would you add in there? I mean, I've been reading about like the 300 Spartans lately, and so it's kind of like, man, I would love to have that bloodline running through my veins. Like these 300 men, brave warriors that just said, you know what, million people against us, we'll take those odds. And we're going to go and we're going to fight for freedom for our families. I, I mean, that would just be like, yeah, I love, I would love if my DNA came back and said that. But 
what would you write yours about? Even, even more, if you were to be writing about the entire savior of the world, how would you write their history? I mean, I would make it be pretty, pretty solid. Be like a, a lineage that you would think he could look at and he could say, this is who I am. Because it's the story of old. Whenever people raised or are raised up without a father, without even knowing who their father is, there's always that question in the back of their head. Who is my father? Because based out of that answer, they find their identity. I mean, Hollywood has made billions off of this storyline of somebody trying to find their identity by going back and trying to figure out who they are based on who their ancestors are. Going back to, as Doug, I'm kind of stealing it, but going back to their homeland to see this is who we are. Now for us, as Doug said, we are not citizens of this world. We have an eternal father, but we still have a blood ancestry that kind of tells us who we are. And, and so you see throughout these, these stories that Hollywood throws out there as they're looking for their father, as they're looking for their history. And little kids are thinking, you know what, maybe my dad, he was a cop. And he was the best cop there was. And he was out there fighting crime, or he was a firefighter, and he, he was constantly risking his life. And that's what I want to be. And they're constantly, like, trying to be optimistic through it all. But then sometimes they find out the bad news, that their dad was a drug dealer, that their dad was a bad, bad person, and their dad has wound up serving life sentences in prison. And then they, they base their identity out of that, and they're like, if that's who my dad is, how am I going to be any different? And some of you all have that story in your past where you're like, man, I have got to break the curse of the family, but I don't know how to do it. And what we see is you can. Actually, you can't. Jesus through you can. Because that's what we see in the genealogy of Jesus is this broken familial line of failure after failure after failure. And then you get to the savior of the world. So some of those names pop out to us. I mean, you have three big names that as you're reading it, you probably recognize. You have Abraham, you have Jacob, and you have David. Those are like the patriarchs of old. You have two patriarchs and the best king that Israel has ever seen on this earth. But even in their stories, these, these like, yeah, I would love to have them in my ancestry, you still have downfalls. You have Abraham, who in Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 20 lied about who his wife was. Both times he's going into a foreign land. And he turns to his wife and he says, tell them you're my sister. And through that, both times, she almost gets taken into that leader's household and gets defiled because he is not brave enough to say, that's my wife. So you have Abraham, who right there had a downfall. You have Jacob. His name itself says he's a deceiver. And he's known for that. He's known for, first off, having his brother Esau sell his birthright to him for a cup of stew. And then he's more famously known for deceiving his father Isaac 
by putting the lamb's wool on his arm and going in and be pretending to be Esau so that he could receive the blessing that Isaac had to give to him. And so he deceived. His life was really based on deception. And then you have David, who's like the best king that they've known. But then you get to 2 Samuel chapter 11, where you see David's downfall, which started long before that. He had a proclivity for women. He took multiple wives, and then he, 2 Samuel chapter 11 opens up with, in the springtime, when kings are usually out fighting, David was on his roof, not doing what he was supposed to be doing. And then he looks over and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And so he calls her over, and he ends up sleeping with her. And then she gets pregnant. So he tries to hide it by calling her husband, who is one of his best warriors, calling him home so that he would get drunk and sleep with her. He wouldn't do it. So then he ends up sending him back with a note to the commander that says, send Uriah in first. And when you give the command, have everybody else retreat and he won't know about it and he'll die. And that happens. David is an adulterer, and David is a murderer, all around one scheme, all around one downfall. But then you look at some of these other names, and in the genealogy of Jesus, you have four women mentioned, which is at this time that the Hebrew writings were happening is preposterous. Because in order to have your name in a genealogy as a woman, you had to be of some form of royalty. Like maybe Esther would have been thrown in there. But instead, you have names like Rahab. You have names like Tamar. You have names like Uriah's wife, who is Bathsheba. And then you have names like Mary. Again, Tamar pretended to be a prostitute so that she could sleep with her father-in-law in order to have a child. And that's in the lineage of Jesus. Rahab, throughout all of the Bible, is known as Rahab, quote-unquote, the prostitute, because that's how she was known. Bathsheba was known for that. She was Uriah's wife, but she had a child with David. And then you have Mary, the mother of Jesus, who, as we know, was pure, but from a worldly standpoint, from society's view, she was an adulteress because she was pregnant without being married. And so here, even, you see these women, but they're nothing special. They are actually counter to that. They have flawed past. And then it didn't hit me until I was looking at all of this. In verse 10, there was this one name that jumped out to me. And so verse 10, it said, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Now, if you haven't read through the book of Kings, you probably aren't familiar with Manasseh, but he was not a good dude. In fact, he was the complete opposite of it. If you were to have a family line, his is the name that you would probably mark out and skip over. You know what? There was a little blank spot in there of him who we do not talk about because he is just that far gone from the family. We get his account in Second Chronicles is the one I'm reading out of. Chapter 33 where it says he was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. First thing they say about him, 
He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. He erected altars to the Baals, and he made Asherah, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and he served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord. Of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem shall my name be forever. He built altars for all the hosts of heavens in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And he used fortune telling and omens and sorcery. And he dealt with medians and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of the idol that he made, he set in the house of God, of which God said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will no more remove the foot of Israel from the land that I appointed for your fathers, if only they will be careful to do all that I have commanded them, all the law, all the statutes, and the rules given through Moses." Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. That's a pretty bad dude. And not in like bad now being good, but like in evil, in wicked. And nobody wants their family line to have his name listed in it. And yet Jesus came from him. Jesus is showing that the brokenness of your family can be changed through him. Because through all these broken lineages, again, we have the perfect Savior of the world. God took broken lives of sinful people, and through it, he brought redemption. And he didn't stop there. He still does it today. That he brings broken lives of sinful people to redemption through the work of Jesus. That's his whole story. I almost feel like in that list of names of the first 16 verses of the book of Matthew, in just a list of names, you have the gospel. You have the good news of Jesus. That through broken person, broken person, broken person, Jesus brought restoration. Jesus brought redemption. Jesus is the source of salvation. Through this messed up lineage came perfection, the savior of the world. You see, God was setting the stage that it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how broken your family line is before you, or maybe even you're the reason it's broken. God can bring healing to that. God can bring redemption to it all through his son. He brings healing. In that story, in that lineage, we have broken sexuality, which is a major theme in so many lives of Americans and worldwide today. On so many different fronts, broken sexuality. You had Rahab, who willingly gave her body away. You have Tamar, who did the same thing. You have Bathsheba, who maybe she didn't willingly give it away, but was the victim of a powerful man in her life. 
And yet you see that God brought redemption through it all. Broken sexuality is no match for the healing that can be found in Jesus. Again, maybe you are the cause of your family's brokenness. Maybe you're like, you know what? My family is just too far gone. I have messed up way too much in my life. But we see Jesus can make all things new. You have murder. You have adultery. You have killing your own son. Again, very hot topic in today's society. You have people who have done that. They have killed their child in the womb, and they think there is no forgiveness for me. But yet Jesus shows there is healing in that, that there is redemption. No matter what your story is, Jesus brings healing. Jesus brings redemption, and we see that in the family tree of Jesus. This is the hope that we have at this time, the hope that we have in Christmas found in Jesus, that he came as a man to live the life that we could never live, to be the sacrifice that we could never pay, to give us a life that we could never earn nor deserve. Not only that, to give us a future that we can place all our hope in. You see, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for our sake... Why did Jesus have to come and be born a man and live that life and die that death for our sake? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not based on how hard I strive. It's not based on any of that. It's based on Jesus coming to be what I could never be he took on the form that I was and am, a sinful human being. And then he died the death that I deserve to die so that I could be made right with God. And there's a perk that comes with being right with God. You get to be right with one another. When you have fellowship with God, it helps bring healing. I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight but it brings healing to broken relationships here on earth also. Jesus, he came from a broken family, but he came for the broken. He came for broken individuals. He came for broken families. He came for broken me and for broken you. Jesus came to mend those lives. And what we see in the lineage of Jesus is that it does not matter what you've done. Whatever excuse you might be trying to make in your head of God could never use me because of this, or God would never take me because of this. We see no matter what you've done, God brings healing. God desires to heal you. First Peter tells us that through his stripes, we have been healed. It's all because of the work of Jesus and the work that he continues to do when you surrender your life over to him. That's why we celebrate the birth of a savior. Because he came to do what we could never do so that we could have a life that we never deserved. He came for our sake to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. 
It's through him. Paul, he tells us elsewhere in Philippians 2, he says that he was in the form of God. I mean, let these words just kind of sink in. He was literally God. And he was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. It's, it's one thing to come down and be human. But I mean, I would come down and be like the richest man in the world or the most popular man or the coolest man, you know. But instead, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of all that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see that list of names that we read, or maybe we don't? It's there for a reason. It has a message for us. It's the story of the redeeming love of God, that he so loved the world that he gave his only son, that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. We see that through the work of that lineage. And therefore, because of that eternal life. We have eternal relationship with God so that as the writer of Hebrews tells us, we can stand with confidence before the throne of God. You know, one of the greatest things that I love about the Old Testament, and it, it took me forever to see this. So 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 1 through 9 is heartbreaking. The story of Manasseh. One of, in my opinions, the worst people in the Bible that I've read about. But verse 10 starts out by saying that God spoke to them, but they did not listen to him. And then it continues on that God ended up having Manasseh thrown in prison because he refused to listen to God. But that's where it gets great. Because Manasseh, while in prison, repents. This guy that I think there's no hope for finds hope in Jesus. And he repents and gives his life over to God and lives for God. The person that, in my opinion, is the darkest in the entire Bible receives hope, finds new life in God, and has probably the greatest story of repentance in the Bible. That's my personal opinion. But we see it doesn't matter what you've done. There is hope and forgiveness and a future, but it is only found in Jesus. Had Jesus not come, Manasseh would have been left in his sins. David would have been left in his sins. Rahab would have been left in her sins. Because the writer of Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats, they cannot cleanse us. They can only cleanse us outwardly, but not inwardly. But therefore, Christ came to offer the sacrifice once and for all so that we can with confidence approach the throne room of God. And it's all found at the cross of Jesus. It's all found in the work that Jesus did because through that cross, he defeated death. He conquered the grave and he gives 
us victory. It's like the greatest participation trophy in the history of the world. What did you do for it? Nothing, but I'm a victor, man. I win because I'm with Jesus. And you can too, that he gave his life for you. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, you, you once were alienated and hostile in mind. You were doing evil deeds. You were, you were honestly no better than Manasseh, and I wasn't either. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I, without a doubt, believe that a modern story of Manasseh and everything that he did before, when he gives his life over to Jesus, and it's like, man, look at all the stain and the sin and the darkness that's in his past. The moment he places his faith in Jesus and the work of the cross, Paul tells us, you are presented as holy and blameless. God doesn't look at your past. He sees his son and the blood of Jesus covering over you so that we have hope. If you don't have that hope, if you're holding on to a broken past, surrender it over to Jesus and let the healing begin. Because that's what we celebrate. The life of Jesus. But what next Sunday represents is just the beginning. It's his birth. He lived a perfect life. Died the most excruciating death that we deserve so that we can have hope. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, sin, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who has given us victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father God, I thank you for giving us stories of broken people so that through them we can find hope. God, I thank you that we have the backstories of Manasseh and David and Rahab and Tamar and everybody there that we get to see that you are the God that brings healing to broken lives that you came to redeem us from death, from our past, from the darkness that we might be living in now and bring us into your marvelous light. So God, I pray if there's anybody here who does not have that hope, God, work in their hearts. And God, I believe you are. So help them to soften their heart, to surrender it all over to you and to see you're the only source of salvation. You're the only hope that we have. God, do the work that only you can do. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen.